0: Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge engine failure, it appears, for Erica, the smoke funneling out of the back of the car, Stanfield, drive spot. This week, Tony Pedregon and I take a Texas-sized look at the contenders and the pretenders heading into the stampede of speed. And it's Trip Tatum for the first time in his career, 370 flat, 330 miles an hour. Who should walk in standing tall and who should walk in quaking in their boots? You're about to find out. Bobby Bodie's 074, and he blows the body off the car, going through the finish line stripe. Bobby maintains control of the automobile. This is the NHRA Insider. Number 16 is going to take out number one. He left on a fight a day and a half. Both Manson Heinz bikes are out, and it is crazy town in Pro Stock Motorcycle. Hey everybody, welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. I'm your host here as we get ready to talk about the NHRA Fall Nationals and the Stampede of Speed down at the Texas Motorplex. Today I have Tony Pedregon coming on the show. We're going to discuss those championship contenders in each category, those competitors that are on the bubble, and those competitors that really need to do something uh, heroic to maybe atone for their sins that were done in St. Louis. I think when we talk about this race of the NHRA Countdown, We talk about people that um, really get to show us what they're made of. Their metal will be tested, and it will be tested in multiple ways. Are you playing defense to hold on to a points lead? Are you playing offense to try to knock somebody off the top? Or are you swinging for the fences to try to reinsert yourself into a championship conversation? I hope everybody had a good weekend off. If you did have a weekend off, I managed to uh, play with my old tractor and a chainsaw and ended up with all my fingers, and I'm still here talking to you. So all that is, uh, all that is good news was actually a bit of a, a relief, a, a breath of fresh air to step away from the drag strip for a weekend. I certainly love every moment I get to spend at the racetrack, but there are times when uh, being able to do something else, just clear your mind a little bit, reset for what will be a sprint to the end of the year um, was very, very cool. And uh, altogether a fun exercise as the seasons have begun to change. You know, there's been some news in the world of drag racing going to hit it with Tony Pedregon. Of course, the uh, controversy, the story about Matt Smith and Angie Smith's motorcycle. Where is it? Where did it go? Who has it? Uh, Matt has it back now or it's being transported to Matt down in texas now so he will have it back for this particular weekend so uh that story is kind of taking care of itself in some ways i think there may be more to tell there we'll get into it with tony pedragon uh one of the other great stories i think for this particular weekend is that we have a lot of cars in each and every category bump spots up down and sideways funny car pro stock pro stock motorcycle everybody's overflowing at the texas motorplex and that means we're going to have very entertaining qualifying That qualifying will take place in warmer conditions on Friday, and as the weekend goes on, it's going to gradually cool off to when we get to Sunday. It should be perhaps among the fastest races of the year on the whole, maybe the fastest race of the year on the whole. The motorplex surface is very, very good, and we're going to have the type of weather that will present these top-tier teams the ability to run their stuff as hard as it will possibly go. I love a good horsepower race. We saw... We saw more of a tuner contest in St. Louis, and that's not a bad thing. Every one of these races has a character and has a personality and has a storyline, and it was the tuner's ability to manage power and obviously the driver's ability to get it down the racetrack. This will be obviously driver-centric to a degree, but this is also going to be a bit of a arm wrestling match, a bit of a contest of confidence from the crew chiefs, and you're going to have to bring... Your biggest bat, you're going to have to bring the big Bertha driver. You're going to have to bring the fungo out. Whatever you got to do to try to really land uh, land some real heavy contact this weekend is, is what you're going to need to do. We're going to go up to the altitude of Vegas. It's fast up there, but it is a little bit of a thin air after this. And then we go to Pomona, which is always just rock and roll fast, uh, especially when we talk about the typical conditions out there to close out the year. Uh, we're going to have great action across the board. Um, the Stampede of Speeds was going on since last Friday. The Motorplex is killing it again with concerts, bull riding. They had the Texas Invitational, which was uh, Terry Haddock, Mitch King, uh, Jeff Deal, and Buddy Hall squaring off in a, uh, a battle royale of Texas drag racers. That uh, was uh, neat, and Terry Haddock ended up winning that, got the championship belt, and was a good, uh, good buoy for that team. Those guys, the test runs they got during that event, are directly going to translate to their potential success on Sunday and even qualifying. You're going to have to run fast to qualify here with 18 funny cars on the grounds and 18 good funny cars at that. Um, you know, rather than go down a whole bunch of different rabbit holes, I think I just want to get right to Tony Pedregon here and get this show started in earnest. We're going to have an in-depth conversation. We're going to get you informed. We're going to get you excited. We're going to get you ready for everything you need to know about the upcoming Texas Fall Nationals this weekend. So with that, I will be right back. And Tony Pedregon will join me, our guest, on this week's NHRA Insider Podcast. Stay tuned. All right, we're back here at the NHRA Insider Podcast. I have my guest Tony Pedregon, NHRA on Fox analyst. What's going on, Tony? How was your weekend off?
1: Good. Good morning. It involved uh, racing and uh, watching some some MMA, but um, gearing up for Dallas.
0: Yeah, it's going to be great. I think uh, you know we've been you and I have been both looking at this forecast, and it's kind of the opposite of what we see on so many weekends. It looks like we're going to start warm and end up on Sunday with the best possible conditions
1: yeah it's funny it changes by the hour I'm trying not to look at it but it's hard not to because (laughs) you know the weather is going to tell us and give us an indication of not just how quick and fast the cars will go but who the drivers and who the teams that it's gonna favor if it does cool off like it's supposed to by Saturday.
0: Yeah, and look, I think what's also interesting is when we look at the Friday qualifying sessions, it's it's later. I mean you got a five PM and an eight PM on Friday, which is gonna be the hottest day of the um you know, which is gonna be the hottest day of the weekend supposedly. And then it cools off progressively after that. So I think even the eight o'clock on Friday night might be able to give us an indicator of what we should look at the rest of the weekend. The five may be a little bit out of bounds as compared to everything else, but maybe that's something for Saturday.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that you know it. It, it seems like based on the for the current forecast, if it is that warm, then the first session on Friday that's going to allow the teams to get their fuel systems dialed in. You know, try. You know, try a, a, a basic setup, you know, if you will. But, it, you know, really, they're going to use that as a platform for the evening run. And then, of course, if it is supposed to be in the mid to, mid to upper low 70s, however warm it gets on Saturday, then, you know, it, depending on the weather, it, 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 the Friday night session will more than likely be in poor position. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and it could be there could be teams that run quicker if it gets cool enough Saturday.
0: Yeah, it's going to be good. I mean, the Stampede of Speed. We have huge car counts in every category. We had twenty top fuelers down to nineteen there. Eighteen funny cars. Eighteen bikes. Twenty three pro stock cars, which we'll get to pro stock in a minute. But one thing I wanted to get into before we go through kind of our look outlook of for the classes and the competitors this weekend. I had a guy say something to me that I thought was pretty interesting as I was talking to him after St. Louis, and I want to kind of get your take on it. And what he said to me was he said St. Louis was an illustration that, at least for the fuel cars, that the real deciding factor in anything that we do anymore is track temperature. Like atmosphere, not that we can totally write it off, but he said, you know, the the, the performances we saw in St. Louis with the density altitude that was at times 3,000 plus feet really gave us the, the story there was it's all about track temperature anymore. What's your what's your take on that?
1: Well, it's been that way for the last 15 years. I mean, track prep always plays a role, and, and that could vary, Yeah, um, you know, uh, 10%, maybe 15%. But for the most part, uh, you know, that's been pretty consistent. And, you know, thanks to NHRA and all the developments, the track machines, the traction compound, um, you know, the, the tractors that lay rubber, actual Goodyear rubber on the racetrack. But it's always been temperature. I mean, that's always been the key. And, you know, temperature is one thing, but, you know, the cloud cover, and I think one of the things that we saw that was very interesting in St. Louis was not a lot of UV.
0: Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you about, too, is like we're starting to get, we now with our new graphics package and some of the stuff NHRA is doing on the technical side behind the scenes with our production, we're starting to get a look at UV that we really never had before, right?
1: well some of the some of the teams have been monitoring that over you know over the last several years five six maybe seven years you know oxygen content you know so there are some some things that you know as technology advances that you know some of these tuners are utilizing to their advantage because you know for the most part they come up with a tune-up on the race car in terms of how much power they can make so they're able to compensate You know for the loss of air or when the air gets real good they they're able to hit their target and the engine rpm is is the key and then they adjust the clutch accordingly but there's always that you know there's always that little bit that that's hard for them to monitor if they go to let's say a place like redding there's a lot of trees around it and they think okay there's a lot of oxygen in these trees we can make power and then they go out in the first run and it doesn't quite make the power that they expected and that's where you know, you factor in some of the oxygen content and some of the other things, but the track temperature is the one thing that dictates how quick they feel that that car can go. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. And even more so than track surface, right? One of the things that we saw, we could see it on the camera yes, and we could see some of the deterioration and some of the pitting on the racetrack, right? It's just some of these facilities are not as perfect as a Las Vegas or a Reading service, but that didn't slow them down. So, you know, it, it is the temperature. There's plenty of rubber on it. There's plenty of traction compound. And for the most part, if these teams can hit it right, it'll give them what they want.
0: So one other thing I want to talk about uh, regarding St. Louis, of course, Angie Smith had that horrendous-looking crash, and it was not even horrendous-looking. It simply was horrendous. Uh, eight out of ten toes broken. You know, she's got skin grafts going on. But thankfully she's intact, and she's, uh, you know, kind of in healing mode. The postscript on that, of course, was that NHRA, as they always do when there's an accident, they impound the vehicle. Now they impounded the bike for an extended number of days, and this caused the internet to, to everybody busted out the tinfoil hats. And there was, I mean, there was a million theories going on about where the, you know, people saying, no, "Oh, NHRA doesn't even know where the motorcycle is, and it's at the Vance and Hines shop," which was the best one of all because, and I'm obviously Matt's <laughs> bikes are top flight equipment. He's a multi time, half dozen time champion. He's got great stuff. But the fact that Vance and Hines would want to drag his bike into the into the back room and dissect it is just <laughs> effing dumb. I mean, really, right? I mean it's insane.
1: It's it's the same, it's like being abducted by aliens. Yes. You know, as Neil Tyson deGrasse said, you know, if you could if just the one person can grab one of those utensils. Before, you know, they're beamed back to earth, they, they, they make history. But it never happens, you know. And, and I think it just goes to show you what the imagination will do. And, and, you know, and people look for that. But, you know, when it's all said and done, look, NHRA reserves the right to do that. And whatever they want to look at, and it may be something very minor, they, they're going to take – they need time. There's travel time. There's time to get, you know, the right personnel uh, the right people in tech to look at those things, and you know, and, and what's the hurry? I'm sure that Matt would like to get that back, but yeah. you know, you have to think about logistics. And I don't know; I haven't heard the official just yet. Um, I, I've heard you know a couple of things that that make sense, but you know, we'll all find out at the same time, and all those questions will be answered. But do not think for a minute that NHRA is is going to hesitate when it comes to penalizing any of these teams and you could just go back to the rich mcphillips team yeah. and, and yeah. you know tony's what they did i think that really sent a message that made a statement um because you know there was an infraction and they did not hesitate to make a decision so that you can appreciate so i, I think that there is a level of transparency with the tech department and we're all going to find out soon enough
0: yeah and and just to put a point on it i you know I don't know what they were looking at for the last for the for a few days. I don't know what the deal was. I know that there was a thing that sent out that they weren't going to give the motorcycle back till Pomona, um, you know, and and listen, I I certainly respect the idea that Matt wanted the thing back. I'm sure he wanted to try to, if possible, put it back into competition this weekend. Now he is going to have it this weekend. It's going to be in Texas. And I guess this kind of just segues us right into Pro Stock Motorcycle. Um, my understanding is Jerry Haas is actually going to haul it down there because Jerry Jerry drives the rig for Matt Hartford. A lot of people don't know that. Jerry, for the last several years, has been a truck driver for many different teams. He drives Hartford's rig around. Obviously, his stuff is in St. Louis, uh, which indicates to the world that the motorcycle never left St. Louis. It was not teleported to, the you know, Planet Nine from out of space. It was it was there. Um <laughs> So, you know, the natural first question is, what do you think Matt's going to be riding this weekend? Do you really think that this is a Suzuki um, abandonment, if you will, was only one race? Do you think he'll be back on that thing? I mean, what what's your idea? And really, Angie's wreck throws a whole monkey wrench in whatever his probably overarching plan was, but what's your take on what he'll be riding?
1: Well, the only thing that I could tell you is what I, I feel that he should be on. He should be on that V-twin. Yeah, Um, you know, in terms of performance. And that's what it is all about. If there is any chance that he can compete and get close, because I think at this stage, that's all you can ask for. Right. Um, He got within four hundredths of a second in, in the first round. And I think he really could have used that last qualifying session, you know, under the circumstances uh, you know, he didn't have the benefit of, of making that run, but the conditions were good. I'm sure that he could have learned a lot. Um, but I, I just can't see. You know, I, I realize that there are some. You know, there's there's a partnership there. There's a an agreement. Yeah. But if they if they let it fly for one race, um, you know, I'm sure he could come up with a good reason to to roll that Buell out because that's what it's all about. He can still represent Suzuki. But if you want the best chance of being able to compete with Gatorade right now, it just seems to be what he had uh, in St. Louis.
0: Yeah, I agree performance-wise, and I guess it really is going to come down to what the contractual obligations are, what the, uh, I guess, kind of what the attitude of um, of Suzuki is, and we'll see. And, you know, I looked at the entry list to see if there was any, you know, kind of interesting names on there. Angie's name is still on the entry list. Now, obviously, with, with eight broken toes and the work that she's having done to, you know, recover, I certainly, I mean, Anything is possible with the Smith family, and I say that part with with admiration. I mean, you really can't count out any possibility here, but boy, it seems like a long shot she'd be down there. Now, secondly, um, we look at the you know the Chase Van Zant situation, and he's basically up by, you know, he's basically up by a hundred points right now. A- at what point At what point does it become futile for Matt to do anything but concentrate on the 2024 season and his Suzuki, right? Because if he's up by – he has to be up a minimum of 129, right, to to lock it before we go to Pomona. Is that the number, 129 with the points and a half?
1: That that number sounds familiar. Yeah, Yeah. Um, but, you know, at this stage, 99 points – You know, I I just I don't see Matt throwing the talent yet. You know, I don't think anyone's competitive nature, anyone like Matt Smith, their competitive nature. Yeah. uh, And I say that because I wouldn't. I I think he's gone to this point. He's got he's 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 taken the measures that he took uh, two weeks ago going into St. Louis. Um, You know, so anything can happen. You know, we've seen a few a few glitches from gage herrera it seems like when they've lost you know they pretty much beat themselves i no one has outrun them i don't know if anyone can outrun them but if you can get close you can touch them up on the starting line which that's not going to be easy to do but you've got three races left and a lot can happen in three races so i just i don't see matt smith focusing shifting his focus on what's going to happen next year maybe that'll change after the dallas race but you know going into dallas that's you know, I think the, the, the racers realized that, you know, what we remember most is what happens in Pomona yeah. and in Vegas, but there are always big championship moments that go down here at this race, and you need only go back a little bit in history to, to Forrest and Cruz in 92, yeah. and to Amato and Hill and Kenny Bernstein, and a lot of the greats that made some pretty big moves, and... and you know, some significant things can happen on that racetrack this weekend.
0: We had uh, Andrew Hines on the stage with us last uh, last race in St. Louis for uh, NHRA Insider Live uh, that we streamed out of the pits, and I thought it was a pretty interesting conversation. And one of the things I took away from it was, you know, the the idea that I there, there aren't many teams, in my opinion, that would be in the position that Vance and Hines is in right now with Gage that don't have a little nagging thing in the back of their mind that thinks ah maybe we should maybe we should just pull it back a little bit to be safe i mean those guys at least according to what what andrew was telling us and and kind of the way he presented it i mean those guys are going to just attack right to the end like they they're kind of fearless in that in that way and he admitted that it's, he admitted that it's gotten him a couple of times but he also admitted that they're not going to change anything
1: yeah you know if you think about what has gotten them in this position and what they've done all year—it's—it's it's nothing short of impressive. And I think that's the only way you can race. I, I mean, I, I don't—I can't imagine that a bike is much different than you know a race car with four wheels. Yeah. You know, when you try to pull them back, and when you get conservative, next thing you know, you get your wings clipped. Somebody gives you a haircut, yeah. and you know, you open the door for them. You give them a little momentum. Maybe they find a little—a little more of what they're looking for. I don't think—I think they realize and have enough respect for Matt Smith and even some of the other teams you know Hector they just they haven't really found they haven't found that performance that they need but i just i cannot i think that they think one way it's all or nothing and and i don't think there's a lot of risk i think there's more risk going the other way so <clears throat> it's great to hear that and and i think that's one of the reasons that that machine shop at Vance and hines is just constantly going and moving because it's 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 a philosophy and it's it's just how you stay on top
0: Speaking of getting your wings clipped, freaking Matt Hartford, man, round one. I mean the McGeehey, the McGeehey father son combination. They came out like Batman and Robin in the first round at, uh, at St. Louis. <laughs> I mean the two hole shots. <laughs> but we got to talk about Hartford's because that was the one that's most significant to me, and I think it speaks to a little bit about what you just said regarding the motorcycles, and and it is the same. When clearly, clearly he was trying and I understand why, but clearly he was trying to, to dial it back a little bit on the starting line to to not throw it away. We had this conversation two weeks ago about red lights. You know, when you go up there in red light, you have negated any possibility you have to win. Well, it goes the other way for Matt Hartford in St. Louis when he's 89 in the first round, and lo and behold, he gets whole shotted out of the place.
1: You know what's interesting, Brian, and, and this, is, this is why – you know, this is really my favorite time of the, the year. You know, the, the beginning of the year, you know, going to Gainesville and then Pomona and Phoenix. You know, just so many new things and new tuners and new changes with teams, new looks of, on race cars. But there's nothing like being in the championship, being in the hunt. And, you know, when we talk about experience and we talk about the drivers that do have a championship, let alone multiple championships, they always have an advantage because they've been there before. And, you know, you look at a Tasca, Tasca has paid his dues. Doug Coletta, you know, he's, if he is in that situation, he's going to be able to pull through because they've been doing it for so long and they've gotten so close. In fact, that might make them better. But what pressure does to some of these drivers that have not been there, and that's why I always say it's, it's not easy to drive a good car because you can be quick off the starting line in a, um, you know, in a in a very average car. In fact, you should, because you have to make up some difference. So you have to take a shot on the starting line. And when you have to do that, you get pretty good at it. But when the roles switch and you get a good car, now all of a sudden your your way of thinking changes. You think, okay, I got a good car. Maybe I can lay up. Maybe I can be smart. And there is, there is something to say about strategy going yeah. into a lot of these races. But not right now not now and that's the one disadvantage that Matt is at is he's never been in the trenches and and I think it I think it caught him I mean you cannot play that in pro stock especially uh, you know and I, it you got to give credit to the Gay Hayes yeah, they absolutely. actually yeah, they found, they found the range, but it's like a boxing match. You know, it's like you ever hear the corner say, um, you know, YG's up on him. You know, hit this guy in the face. Don't, you know, don't give him any Because one roundhouse punch will change everything. And I think racing is a lot like that um, in the first round, in the second round, because guys are taking shots at you. And it was mostly that Matt was just late, yeah. you know, yeah. and I, I think it, it was a loss of focus, but that's, you know that's the way it goes, and it's tough. One driver is going to come out in each pro category as a champion, and that was that was one of those championship moments. But that's not going to take Matt out of the running. He can no. still he has to rebound. He has to do something big at the next race or two.
0: And look, I, nobody loves uh, hyperbole more than me. I love it. Uh, but this <laughs> this to me, and it sounds it sounds overly dramatic, but this this race in Dallas to me is the defining race of Matt Hartford's pro stock career because now is what we really get to see what this guy's made of you know be it's not it's not that the car shook the tires in the final it's not that the car got out of the groove and got loose in the semis this was you were the points leader and now you're not anymore because of this so this race in Dallas tells me all I need to know not about his team because to me the team is the team is a proven commodity Eddie, Ki Adam, th- those guys we know they can set up a race car. This guy that that is a horse that can run and will run. But this really comes down to him, and um, it'll be to me. This is the biggest story of the weekend in a lot of ways. Is is how he on Sunday performs in this moment? Because as you said, he's still less than two rounds out. He's by no means done, but he could be done if he if he if he gets himself bumped out in the first round, or even in the second round. Really, he needs to go deep. In Dallas, there's no other option.
1: Here's what Matt does have going for him. He's got a good car. And there were a few times I thought that Matt was showing himself the door, and he's in one race, in one round, he's put himself back in the game. He's done it several times this year. He has talent. You cannot deny a driver's ability. Uh, He just has to be in the right place at the right time, and I think that's what Matt has going for him. So he's proved us wrong a couple of times. I think he can do it again question is is are the stars going to line up for him but there's no doubt he has the talent he has the car to do it he's just got to execute and it has to happen you know like i said in the next race or two but i agree with you i think in dallas he has to do something to make up for that first round loss and you know it's got to be something kind of special
0: and on the opposite end of the spectrum we got greg anderson uh he is not the points leader right now but uh, before Charlotte, he wasn't even in the discussion of ever being the points leader, maybe ever again. And then he reels off back-to-back wins. He did not fall into those wins. The Charlotte win was good. The St. Louis win was epic. I mean, that was that was Greg Anderson. Like, that was peak Greg Anderson from back in the day, and all of a sudden it's emerged again, almost out of nowhere.
1: Yeah, and I th- this is why, and I'm guilty of this myself, because when we've talked about... You know, Greg and all the tough losses that he had, not just this past year, but the, the year before that. I mean, he's had a good car, but this is why you cannot write off a champion yeah. like Greg and, and a competitor like Greg Anderson because, um, you know, he's still sharp. It it takes a lot to, to be as good, to drive a good car, and I think he's just showing up. And And if he continues to drive the way that he has – the um, one thing about Greg is he's been in those moments many, many times. He's very familiar with it. So what it does is it allows the driver to focus on the things that they need to focus on. He doesn't have to worry about the pressure. He doesn't have to worry about the big moment rolling up to the starting line against Erica for a championship. He's been there. He's done that. It allows the driver to just focus on what he has to do. To win that round, to win that race, and you know, I I just think that Greg Anderson, he was one of the drivers that I I did not expect to be in this position, um, but here he is.
0: Agree or disagree? Out of the top three racers, Ender's Anderson and Hartford, Anderson is going to be the most loose coming into Dallas.
1: Yeah, right now he is. Right now he is. Sometimes, you know, if, if coming off of a win uh, and coming off of two wins. You know, drivers seem to get tight. I don't think that's the case for Greg Anderson. I think that he has gotten beat up enough over, <laughs> right. over the past <laughs> couple of years. I think this guy. Can. Look, I'm not getting any younger, and I've still got it, and I've proved that I still have it. I, I just, I expect the best from Greg Anderson. Um, you know, the question is the consistency of Erica, and you know, and and I think it's still, it's going to come down to one or two big races between greg and between erica i don't think matt is out of it i don't think dallas glenn you know if dallas glenn could get his car back he's in the game there's another guy that you know he had a few struggles uh you know for a pro stock driver that was you know having 30 and 40 reaction times lost a couple of races but guy showed up in the countdown just doesn't seem like the car's there so uh, I think pro stock is is got a lot in store in terms of entertainment.
0: Yeah, and and, and to and Glenn was the second one that the fight in McGeehay's uh took out of contention in the first round uh in St. Louis. So um we move on to Funny Car, and you know the, the bubble cars in Funny Car are interesting to me because to me there isn't really a bubble in Funny Car. There is a, a gulf because once you get to four, you get Tasca Height, Hagen, and Caps. Those are your top four in points. Then when you go to number five. It's 120 points later, so that to me is you know that, that Chad Green's in fifth right now. Great season, nothing against the guy, but when you're 120 back and you have four guys that are basically on top of each other, one through four, those are the four cars we need to be talking about. And you know Ron Caps is Ron Caps is the the guy who's furthest back right now, and it's it's 36 points, and that's that's between four cars. That's insane. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, and Funny Car, there's a castle and there's a moat and there's a body of water with alligators and nobody's and I mean nobody's getting in, but you know this guy named Bob basker found his way to get in and uh, and and it, you know it's no secret it's been Caps it's been Hagan it's been Robert Height it will continue to be. But Tasca has managed to make his way. And it's not just the car. I mean, we've talked about how good that car has been all year. Very impressive. But but so, you know, so his caps. And right. so his head again. Yes. And especially Robert. You know, Robert just seems to stand out. But if you look at Tasca's performance, that car has been able to match and and almost edge out the performance of Robert. Now enter... The driver. I mean, it, it, you got to enter the team and the efficiency. But at this stage of the game, they're all pretty good. Okay, I know they all say they're the best in the world. <clears throat> You're going to get a little pushback on that. So they're all pretty good at this stage. They make the turnaround. They they don't seem to have any issues with with maintenance on the cars. They seem very thorough. And now it falls on the driver's shoulders. And and I tell you that Bob is is actually risen to the occasion, and he seems. Could be very well prepared for a championship run. It shouldn't change. He's already had the big moments. He's already won the pressure cookers. He's stood toe to toe with every one of these contenders. So I just I think this is going to be one for the ages.
0: To me, uh, you know, final rounds kind of being their own animal as far as a funny car driver's approach and procedure. Out of those four guys, at least over my in my estimation over the course of this season. Bob has been the one guy who has made a measurable difference in his approach in the earlier rounds. We don't see that car running 386s repeatedly at races if he is stuffing it in. And again, take the final round out of it, because once that once you get there, all bets are off, do whatever you want. But the only way, the only way you're going to be running those type of mid 380s, at least in my estimation, is if you are kind of sacking up. And tickling the thing and putting it in there to a degree where it's not it's not totally stuffed in deep, and and you can run the number. And I think that's been an impressive thing to watch. All three guys or all four of these guys will do whatever they have to do to win. But when I look at a driver who's made some changes visually, I think it's Bob out of those four. Yeah,
1: well, and I I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I think that you know, a it's his level of experience. It, it continues to get better. And you you go back the last two years. I mean, there were flashes. There were times that they thought. They had a car. They win yeah. two races in a row and then get beaten the first or second round. So there was some level of inconsistency about that. It, you know, and it, this all goes back to, you know, the, the guys that were making the decisions on those cars. So, um, you know, the, the, the tuners that are setting that car up, the way that they're racing it, the way that they think, I think they have allowed bobby to have a level of confidence yeah so it's it's the, it's the confidence that he has in the car right now it's what they've been through over the last couple of years it's what he has done since you know two thousand you know eight or 9 when when he started racing i mean you think about that this guy's got a lot of experience yeah. in a funny car you know there was a couple of years that, that he sat out and he came back but you know this is a guy that his he's he's done everything that it has taken to be in this position and and he knows it just just like you know the the funny car drivers that have been in these situations you only get a few a few shots when you have a car as good as you do and i think right now they want to seize the moment and make the best of it you're not in this position too many times in a career
0: how big in terms of Maybe the internal side of it was Hagen's win in St. Louis, and there was no strife, there was no anger. We had talked; we had Tony Stewart in the booth, and you know we had talked about you know the approach. We had talked about how he and he and Dicky had, had kind of reset themselves, meaning Hagen and Dickie had got in the room and put themselves back on the same page as far as a lot of that stuff goes. But as a guy who's been on these championship teams, a guy who's run his own championship team. How big was that moment to win that race and reaffirm the idea that we're not the we're not the weaklings here?
1: I think it it did a lot of things for that team. I think it just it confirmed that when Hagen shows his frustration, you have two A type personalities in in Matt, and there's a relationship there that is not going to be damaged by. By anything vocal yes. or anything verbal. When a driver gets out and says, look, we're, we're just this guy's outrunning us. We need more. And, and that's a fact. Yes. But the, the, the tuner doesn't get offended because I think he feels the same way. So that just goes to show you how strong the connection is, how strong the bond is between the tuner and the driver. There is a disconnect with, with a lot of them out there. Yes. And it rears its head sometimes. That's not going to happen with this team. You've got a team owner that's just letting them do their thing because he understands that there's, there's two guys that know how to win. But more importantly, they know how to win together. And I think it confirmed that Matt Hagan shows up all the time. Uh, Caps was a little bit off. We don't see that that often. I'm pretty sure that when he goes, and I'm just talking the reaction time off yeah. the starting line, that was going to be a close race. The speed, I'm sure there was some engine damage with the Caps car, by the eighth mile, there's 10 mile an hour difference. Yeah. That was going to be a much closer race. In fact, that might have been a whole shot win for Matt Hagan. Um, so I think that Ron Caps is going to show up in a big way. I think that Robert now realizes that nobody's going to hand it to him. They're not just going to clean house. Um, you know. So they're still reeling from what they went through last year. They kind of still feel that it slipped through their hands. And, you know, Tasker right now he seems to be – very solid he still seems to have the best car so you know that's a that's a that's those are worlds colliding right there
0: yeah yeah i keep thinking about the uh, the movie the great outdoors there was that old the old 96er <laughs> the steak everybody had you had to eat the old 96er you got it for free and i feel like i feel like I, I might be talking about the old 86er this weekend i i i can't help but look again back at the weather and not think that unless you have a car that can run mid eighties from the first round to the end of the day on Sunday, you're probably not going to be the guy that wins this race.
1: Yeah, you're going to have to do both. You know, you're going to have to have a car. You need the consistency. You need a car that'll perform. The driver's going to make the difference when all the dust settles. And you know, it didn't. It's not going to start in Dallas. It's already started. Uh, the just the show continues. We're in what the third quarter. Yeah, and um. You know, I I, I, it's going to come down to Pomona, but you know, right now I think you're fighting for position. You want to set the stage. You want to be in the lead going into that race, whether it's by a round or a few points. And you know, that's why these teams are going to get what they wanted. They want the four qualifying runs. They want it so that they can get runs down the racetrack. But more importantly, for the good teams, they're going to be trying to get down the track and be the quickest of each session because they realize how important those qualifying points are.
0: Yeah, and one last point I want to make on Funny Car and, and just kind of doubling back to the Hagen thing. How much of a difference with that, the relationship you, you mentioned? This is a team owner, a hired crew chief, and a hired driver working together. A lot of the teams aren't that. A lot of the teams are a team owner that is also the driver that is working with the crew chief, so it's a different dynamic. So how much of that relationship, because Matt Hagan has always been in that position with Dickie? He's always been the hired driver working with Dickie who's a hired crew chief for an, an owner. How does that change the dynamic and, and allow those two guys to maybe have that freedom that you talked about where maybe their own personal ego isn't going to interrupt the success of the thing Versus <laughs> versus a guy that owns the car that is maybe, I don't know, dictating terms to his crew chief. That's a different dynamic. It has to be.
1: It is, it is, but but it's whatever works, and and for Dicky and for Matt, it works well because Matt, he's got a business, he goes off. Dicky, this is all he does. Yes. He's he. This guy drowns himself, and as as these tuners do, the good ones, when uh, come Monday, they're at the track, they're looking at the data, whether they win or or get beat in the first round or semifinals, they assess everything that the car did, the clutch wear, how the engine looked. They're looking at the data. They're trying to figure out what could we have done better. What, you know, what, what did we make any mistakes? And, you know, so that's, that's what they do. I, I don't know how they communicate during the week, but when they show up at the track, that dynamic just, it works well. They have good chemistry. And, and I think that, you know, I think it shows, you know, Dicky just has a certain amount of trust in the driver. And, and I think it's interesting that if you look at the four contenders in funny car, I think to some degree, as good as these tuners are, they all want to be the quickest. But I think there are times that they're going to say, look, this is what we have. This is what we feel we can run. We're not going to give it away. We're not going to smoke yeah. the tires. I'm going to put it in the driver's hands. And, and I think that's just so interesting because for anyone that thought, you know, is it, is it 75% the car, 25% yeah. driver? Yeah, Sometimes. But sometimes it's 80% driver. When you have four cars, like we have a funny car right now, that driver's pretty important. And I think that some of these tuners say, look, this is what we can run. I think if if you could get into the head the thoughts of the other tuner, they're probably thinking the same thing. We think we can run an 87 or 88 in the final, and we're going to leave it up to the driver. And I I think that's what it's going to come down to.
0: Now let's move to top fuel um Justin Ashley. All literally all eyes are on this kid this weekend because much like uh you know, much like a Matt Hartford situation, this is this is make or break. And and maybe it's the inverse of the Hartford situation in that we're not necessarily going to look at the cockpit here for results. We're probably gonna look at the engine compartment and the people who are turning the wrenches, or at least guiding the people that are turning the wrenches here. It's been it's been tough to see these guys slip down. They're not out of it, but my God, if they if they don't if they don't do something special, uh, they may well be. And they won this race last year, so they've proven themselves in Texas, but they're going to have to prove themselves again.
1: Look, I, I think a couple of things have happened with, with Justin Ashley. Of course, their car hasn't. Their car can perform with, with the top three or four cars, and that's saying a lot. And, because they have. They have in the past. But a lot of those races have come down to Justin Ashley on the starting line yes. and the cars. And and so the two things that have happened is that has fallen off. I think that that Justin's his consistency as a driver has fallen off because the car's performance is a little more it's 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 less predictable yeah. right now. The other problem that they have is Steve Torrance has showed up, Doug Collette has shown up, Leah Pruitt showed up. Clay is being Clay. He's just winning <laughs> right. when once in a while, when you least expect it. <laughs> right. When they win. and he's doing a good job driving. Yeah. So all of these things and we saw we saw some, you know, some we saw some flashes of that happening through the season. You know, we saw Clay win a couple of races. Um, but but I think I think a combination of those two things, and I think the best shot for Justin Ashley and his team, if you're Mike Green, and I'm pretty sure they're thinking the same thing, give him his car back. Yeah. Give him his car back that can compete, and he will be there till the end. Because when he lost the championship last year, the car was just smoking the tires. It wasn't the driver. The driver was on, on his mark. He was still getting uh, an advantage off the starting line that was worth two to three hundredths of a second. That's not going to change. So, you know, I, I just think they've got some work to do. and And now they have... They don't have just one guy firing shots at them. They've got about three or four that are sitting over on the top of that hill that are firing shots. And I, I, just, I still think that when Justin and that car is on their mark, I still think they have a slight edge over anyone else.
0: And let's talk a little bit about Steve Torrance because uh, here comes Billy Torrance. Billy's going to make his uh, first uh, – I don't know if it's going to be his only, but it's going to be his first top fuel start of the year. And it makes sense. They're Texans. They have a load of people in the Dallas area. They bring out tons of people from the company. Um, but let's be honest here. If Billy can go out there and thump some of these guys that are that Steve's trying to get out of his way – I, I, you can't tell me you might not show up another couple of times. I mean, we're not talking about Billy as a blocker in the in the sense because he's this is his first time he's run this year. But you damn well know that car is going to be fast. It's never not fast.
1: Brian, okay, this is why this is why we think so much differently because I never really thought about the fact that they were close to home. They have a lot of gas. I'm thinking they need another car right now. <laughs> And and I think I think it's a little bit of both, yeah. but there's no question that they need a car. And I think Billy Torrance is very capable, and that car is capable of taking out the the resistance. And that's that's Coletta, that's Leah. Um, and, and I think they need I think they need all the help they can get. I mean, you look at you look at Coletta; they've got two cars now. How they play it, um, you know, they they've already put on a pretty good show in the countdown. So I'm going to give those guys credit. Yeah. You know, however they, if they don't go out and make uh you know, make a mockery out of, out of, uh, you know, competition and a countdown. Uh, and they haven't to this point, like Steve Torrance and his dad, we've, we've seen them in the past um, race and, and race close. And, you know, I don't, I don't see that changing, but you cannot deny that Coletta's have two cars. Um, I think that's a good thing. It's a smart decision for the Torrances, And, um, you know, I think I think when Billy shows up, he's always a very formidable opponent.
0: He absolutely is. And before we move up the scale, uh, you know, Antron Brown, he's 96 back. Um, we we saw that, you know, to me, when he wins the U.S. Nationals, it's like, damn, this guy's just going to come out here and, and really start kind of leveling people. But we've really seen that card fade. Um, not not totally fall off the cliff, but it has faded from what it was. <sighs>
1: yeah, and I think that's that's really been the, uh, the problem. Uh, and it's not a big problem, but it's it's a small problem in terms of consistency. When you look at their average qualifying position, you know they're fifth or sixth. they're yeah. not they're not you know third or fourth. yeah, because third or fourth, when you average that, that means sometimes you're first or second, uh, and you may fall back to fourth or fifth. But when you're consistently qualifying in that fifth or sixth position, and, and sometimes better, and then sometimes worse. But when you look at the average, you know, that is a range that that car will run in. And they lose very close races. But you can count on Antron giving you a little bit. And and I, I would say that when that car, when they show up, now they've run 68, they've made some very impressive runs. And, and they've been the quickest car of the first round or second run round when that car shows up that's what you have to that's what you have to be careful of it's never a surprise when Antron wins a race um, but I, if they lack one thing it's just the, the level of consistency and the level of performance if if they're two to three hundreds off in the countdown you have drivers that are really stepping up and that are getting off the starting line so you know over a stretch Antron's gonna win some of those but when you condense that to three races to go, um, you know, you can only count on your driver so much because these guys, you look at Clay's performance at the last race. Yeah. These guys are stepping up in a big way, and, you know, that's what Antron is so good at doing over a long stretch.
0: And so the last two people we got to talk about here in Top Fuel are obviously one and two in the points right now. Um, Leah Pruitt, you know, did did, did virtually nothing wrong uh, in St. Louis. Of course, Neil Strasbaugh, Mike Domagala have that car. I mean, it's almost sneaky how good that car has been. You know, it's funny. We look down at like one point in the countdown. It's like, oh, Leah's fourth in the points. Jeez, when did that happen? Now we look down and she's second. Um, She's barely (laughs) barely two rounds behind Doug. And to me, if she can drive the next three races the way she drove St. Louis and they can tune it the same way, why are we not maybe talking about her as the next top fuel champion? You know, it did not seem like that would be a conversation we'd be having at the start of the year, but it seems like one, depending on what she does in Dallas – that we may be having in vegas and pomona
1: look right now leah is in a position that every driver wants to be in second in the points they didn't expect for you to be there they didn't see you coming and you're there you know so so you know she's gotten her wish in terms of the race car uh and you're right i mean i would say seven eight times out of ten how they performed in the final round at st louis will, will get you a win you'll sneak out of there yeah with the win and the countdown, but you know, uh, Oberhofer and and Clay, that is a tuner and a driver that were in sync. Tuner did the right thing. The driver left on time, and they just you know they pulled out some performance. It, they. I didn't think they had in the final, but when you look at the racetrack in the final round, semifinal is when it's its warmest. It's yeah. just a team that made a good read on the racetrack. They had nothing to lose, and they were very calculated in how they set the car up and what they felt it could run and where they felt they could accelerate the car, and they came out with a win. You know, like they stole that from them. But to go back to Leah, you know, you want to talk about pressure, and this is where a driver has the opportunity to make their mark. They yeah. can rise to the occasion. They can battle, you know, with all these drivers that had the lead, that can win races. You know, Doug Coletta, everybody's talking about all. this is where a driver can make their mark in what is arguably one of the, the toughest and, and sees a division that has some of the most talent that I've ever seen in the class at one time. And so, you know, if she can come out if she can enter that last race in that two or three position, that's all you can ask, you know, and I, I just don't think that there's any limit to what that team can do. That car has been performing good. It's consistent. It, it runs with the, the top pack, and you know, I hate to add more pressure, but You know, that's what comes with being in that position is a good amount of pressure, and we'll see how she performs starting at Dallas.
0: Yeah, and and to your point, you know, she often talks about Pomona. And years ago, I remember doing an interview with her, I think when she had won maybe the Winter Nationals or the Finals or something, and she talks about just how she's most comfortable at that racetrack. So, in the event. Uh, She shows up there and either in this position or one higher, it would be the best thing. It would be the best place for her to be in that spot because of her, you know, kind of personal level of, of comfortability in that environment. You know, she's obviously from California. There's a lot of stuff in her personal, you know, history that's tied to. Uh, in and out drag strip Pomona. So that would be something else. And finally, we got to land on Doug Coletta here and, and almost maybe go back to a, a circular conversation like we had about, about Bob Tasca in that, um, in that we're coming into this weekend and we're looking at it and you and I, were, you, you joked about it. We were texting about it. You said, you know, the drag racing God seemed to be smiling on him again uh, with this forecast. They smoked the tires in St. Louis on a warm Sunday they won the first two races of the countdown, so I'm not even I'm not going to get concerned, if you will, for the Mactool's Tools Top Fuel team for smoking the tires in round two. But I am I'm looking at this weather forecast, thinking this is it. this has got Alan Johnson written all over it.
1: <laughs> I, I think so. I, I mean, they haven't they haven't overcome the warm track yet. I mean, that no. showed it yeah. reared its head again. That's something that we brought up, we talked about, and and they're just not there yet. So I think that. You know that they're probably hoping for, you know, favorable conditions. I would say when that track temperature starts to creep beyond 115 degrees, uh, and we could see it one or two more times, yeah. um, but we may not. So I, I think when it's 115, 110 below, I think that's where that's where they shine. I think they can they can plug a tune-up in. They seem to be be able to run uh, just as good as anyone if not better they they know how to hit that target 69 when the track temperature is is you know 100 105 degrees and that's that'll win you that'll win you some races with the with the caliber of driver of Doug and his ability his experience that's going to win you some races and i i still of all the teams that we just talked about as good as they are as as good as they're peaking at the right time this is really Doug's Championship to lose at this stage.
0: We talk about some of the numbers. You know, Doug Coletta, uh, he's appeared in 47 rounds so far this year. He's first in the points. Steve Torrance has appeared in 47 rounds this year. He's third in the points. <laughs> Doug Coletta's averaging a 65 light. Steve Torrance is averaging a 67 light. Doug, Doug Coletta's average qualifying position, 4.88. Steve Torrance is 4.39. But here's the one that's that's a, that's wacko Steve Torrance has the quickest car on average on Sundays, averages a 382.7 during elimination runs. Doug's car, which speaks to the problems they had for three quarters of the season, is averaging a 439 on Sundays. And yet he's the guy leading the points. It tells you just how just how good the thing has gotten of the last month. I mean, that's that's an insane kind of thing to look at. The car is almost a full second slower than Steve on average on Sundays. And yet here we are. He's leading the points.
1: Yeah, and that's because of some of the tire smokers and that yeah. when and we're not we're not out of the woods yet. We're gonna see a couple of big races where cars go up to the starting line, the tuners are gonna overshoot, and it's gonna fall on the driver. Who has more experience, who has the, the smoother foot, who can modulate the throttle better than the next, right? Yep. So I, you know, I think that um, I think that's one of the things that Doug is so good at. And, you know, there really may be one driver that, that is just as good in terms of car control. You know, Antron, yeah. very good feel for the car. Um, you know, <clears throat> Steve Torrance, very good car control. But Austin Proc, and Austin Proc is not, you know, at this stage, he's not in the hunt. <clears throat> but when that car loses traction, we saw the race with Doug. Yeah. when They almost broke traction simultaneously. And a lot of times... You know the car, how close to the edge, and how aggressive it is, and how bad it gets the tires loose, is is one that one it's going to make it easier or harder for the driver to be able to regain traction. But Austin Prock is is very good car control. Doesn't seem to be as quick off the line as he was. But you know there again, there's a driver that just doesn't have a car. But when you talk about having all the tools that it takes to win. And, and that's Doug Coletta. He's got the car. He's, he's just got it all. So I, I think that when you see that, you know, there's something that they don't do better, more consistently, you know, sometimes the driver's got to save the day for these cars.
0: Well, man, it's going to be a great weekend in Texas. Uh, Stampede of Speed began last uh, Friday, I guess. They started doing stuff down there. They've had the country music concert. They've had a couple of uh, bull riding, some some other sideshow-style races, and, and we really officially kicked things off on Thursday with the Sportsman Cars and then Friday with the Camping World Series. So it's going to be great. Uh, I'll see you down there. Maybe we can uh, find a place to get an old 96er
1: i know there's an in and out and there's plenty of playa locos there and uh, i always look forward you know it's just the the history there of of dallas and that racetrack and all those moments and uh you know we're going to see the waco kid we're going to see that's uh, it baby we're going it's just cool to see um you know and i one of the one of my favorite pictures um and i'll post it on social media was with the original blue max team and um you know with rich gosco um and it was a waterbed fred and i think some of them will be there and if you know the history of drag racing and you know racers like uh, billy meyer and raymond beetle it it really is a special place looking forward to it
0: all right he is tony pedragon i'll be back in just a moment with some final thoughts on this episode of the nhra insider stay with us And we're back here in the NHRA Insider Podcast with some final thoughts after that conversation with Tony Pedregon as we get ready to head down to the Stampede of Speed at the Texas Motorplex. It's going to be a great weekend. Always has been at the Sport of Drag Racing's original super track, the Motorplex. I think when we look at how this countdown has played out in multiple categories, there are still many stories to tell. Pro Stock Motorcycle, we know what that story is. But in Top Fuel, the addition of Billy Torrance this weekend and – You know, for us, it's kind of up for speculation. Obviously, he's going to be down there, home racetrack, home race, let's get the two top fuel cars going. If it goes the way that they want it to go, and if Billy Torrance is able to mow down some competition that Steve Torrance needs out of his way, who's to say we might not see the Texan come for the final two races of the year to throw down in both of those Capco cars? Would be certainly a fun story to watch, and as Tony mentioned, Teams like Coletta got two cars, so why wouldn't the Capco guys want to try to dive into that as well? Obviously, there are logistical challenges and everything else that come along with it, but still a compelling storyline. Does Doug Coletta leave Texas, continuing to be the points leader? Does Erica Enders leave Texas, continuing to be the points leader? Does Bob Tasca leave Texas, continuing to be the points leader? And if they don't, what happened to lead them to that point? It's answers we can only have after we see the race play out on Sunday. You go to NHRA.com to get your tickets for the Texas Motorplex Stampede of Speed and our coverage of the race will be on Sunday. We'll have qualifying early Sunday afternoon and then our race broadcast will be later on Sunday afternoon. Both of those to be carried on FS1. You can check your local listings for times. It's going to be great. It's going to be fast in the low 70s on Sunday at the Texas Motorplex and that means it will be mechanical mayhem to the highest degree as teams push their equipment as hard and fast as it'll go. As always, thanks for listening and or watching the NHRA Insider Podcast. Love diving into the stories of NHRA drag racing, whether it's with Tony or whether whether it's with drivers like Clay Millican and Greg Anderson, like I had last week, we'll be back next week to talk about what happened in Texas and talk about the drivers and to the drivers who made an impact on their own seasons at the motorplex. Also, we will be having an insider live from the pits at the Texas motorplex on Saturday, follow NHRA social media to watch that planning on doing it at 10 45 central time. So 11 45 Eastern. 845 Pacific. You can flip on your social media channels for NHRA like uh, YouTube or like Facebook and it will be there. It will also be posted on NHRA.TV after it has aired. Insider Live at 1045 AM coming Saturday and watch FS1 on Sunday for all the qualifying and race coverage from the Stampede of Speed and the Texas NHRA Fall Nationals. I'm Brian Loans. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.